This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now, your News Talk host, Linda Swain. I'm back in the saddle again. Out where a friend is a friend. Where the longhorn cattle feed on the lowly Jimson wheat. Back in the saddle again. Linda Swain here that with uh, Gene Autry. <laughs> Back in the saddle after being waylaid by the Kovic. Uh, I uh, finally got nailed by it. Three years in, I managed to avoid it thus far. Still don't know how on earth I got it. Um, myself, uh, the only person in the household who managed to get it, and uh, I immediately isolated myself from everyone else. But who? I'm going to tell you something. It ain't fun. Uh, it knocked me on my behind, and uh, I'm still not 100%, but coming around. You can probably hear it in my voice, and I may cough from time to time as well. So I uh, want to offer my uh, great thanks to Greg Smith and Brian Callahan for filling in in my absence. And uh, while I was lying prone in the bed, I couldn't help but uh, in my waking hours anyway scrolling through the old phone and uh, seeing some of the very interesting and some might say alarming news coming out internationally regarding this uh, big leak of U.S. government secret documents. And I don't know if you've been following this or not. I'm going to take an unusual tack here off the top of the show because we normally deal with local news. If we're not dealing with local news, we're dealing with national news. But this is such an important international news story. And there's been a lot of breaking news on this, fast-breaking news, as a matter of fact, in the last little while. So I'm going to share this with you now. We're going to start in Washington, D.C. And if you've been following uh, the story, you know that uh, there's been quite a bit of international consternation regarding some of these highly classified U.S intelligence um, documents that had been leaked online in recent months. In fact, they'd been out there for some time and it didn't become really public until um, I think it was either the Washington Post or the New York Times um, became aware of it. The documents include discussion on the war in Ukraine, the U.S. government's surveillance of a number of countries, including Canada. Well, today came word that the person responsible for the leak is uh, someone by the name of Jack Tahira. He's a 21-year-old National Guardsman who, according to the New York Times, oversaw an online group of about 20 or 30 people, mostly young men and teens. Uh, just moments ago, U.S. Uh, Defense Department Brigadier General Pat Ryder spoke with reporters about the latest on the unfolding investigation and the identification of this uh, young man, and uh, we'll take you there right now. We'll go ahead and start with AP Tarkop. Uh, thank you, General Ryder. So can you confirm that Airman, Airman First Class Jack Teixeira, a member of the Massachusetts Air National Guard, is a person of interest in this leaked documents case? And I have several other questions. Sure. Um, so first of all, as I mentioned, there is an ongoing criminal investigation. And so uh, anything related to that, I'm going to need to refer you to the, the DOJ or the FBI. Can you speak at all to if anyone in the Department of Defense has reached out to this airman? Do you know where he is? Um, there are reports that law enforcement is closing in on this airman's location. Um, so has anyone been able to reach out to him? 
Uh, again, Tara, I appreciate the question, but again, given that this is an ongoing investigation, I'm not going to be able to talk about the investigation or any potential DOJ actions, so I'd refer you to them. Okay, in the days after the leaks came to light, what steps has DOD taken to reduce the number of people who have access to not only these classified briefings, but the classified material in general? Sure. Um, so we continue to review a variety of factors uh, as it relates to safeguarding classified materials. This includes examining uh, and updating distribution lists, assessing how and where intelligence products are shared, uh, and a variety of other steps. Um, I would say, though, that it is, it is important to understand uh, that we do have stringent guidelines in place for safeguarding classified and sensitive information. This was a deliberate criminal act, a violation of those guidelines. Uh, and so, again, I think that's important to understand. Now, we will continue to do everything we can to ensure that, that people who have a need to know uh, when it comes to this kind of information have access to that. Um, we're always going to learn from every situation. Um, but again, um, this is something that we'll continue to look at. But you are taking steps to tighten that I guess, population who might have access to this level of information? That, that's accurate. Again, we continue to review those distribution lists, update them, make sure there's a need to know. But again, let me just emphasize my point um, that this was a, you know, we have rules in place. Uh, each of us signs a non-disclosure agreement, anybody that has a, uh, has a security clearance. Uh, and so uh, all indications are, again, this is a criminal act, a willful violation of those. Uh, and, and again, a re another reason why we're continuing to investigate and support DOJ's investigation. And just last question, um, do you have a sense that this is just the act of one individual? And even if so, wouldn't uh, members of his chain of command also be held accountable for this lost information? Again, I don't want to speculate or get ahead of the DOJ's investigation. We need to allow that to run its course, uh, and so I'd refer you to them. Let me go ahead and go to Gordon, and then I'll come back to Jen. Yeah, Pat, just two questions. One, just uh, to clarify, in in DOD's efforts to change the way you do business in terms of protecting classified information, apart from the stuff that you do already, is that DOD-led or is that joint staff-led? Who's kind of directing what on that? And the second question is just hypothetically, I know you like hypotheticals, if somebody was to be charged what would determine whether the military would charge and indict and you know carry out the legal process against that person or people or DOJ? Yeah. So on your latter question, you're right. I don't want to get into hypotheticals. I will say that, you know, as always, every case is judged on its own merits. And we need to allow this investigation to run its course. And then, of course, there'll be more to say on that. Um, on your first question, uh, again, it's, it's important to understand that this is... Uh, not just about DOD. This is about the U.S. government. This is about how we uh, protect and safeguard classified information. And as I highlighted, we do have strict protocols in place. Uh, so anytime there is an incident, anytime there's an opportunity to review that and refine it, we're, of course, going to take uh, advantage of that. Um, within the Department of Defense, um, as you've heard us say, Secretary Austin has been convening daily meetings with his senior leaders to include the chairman to talk about uh, reviewing the scope uh, and the impact of this and also to look at mitigation measures and what we need to do across 
the Department of Defense to ensure that we're doing our utmost to reinforce existing policies, procedures, uh, and rules. Uh, and if there are any areas where we need to tighten things up, we certainly will. That's correct, as, as I mentioned to her. Uh, when I say DOD, I mean the Department of Defense across the entire enterprise. Okay, Jen. General Ryder, you say that there are strict protocols in place, and yet a 21-year-old airman was able to access some of the nation's top secrets. How did this happen, and isn't this a massive security breach? Again, we need to allow the investigation to run its course. We'll, of course, know more uh, when that is completed, so I'd, I'd refer you to, to DOJ on that. What is your message to anyone who might be thinking of leaking these kind of documents in the future? Um, look, again, uh, we have procedures, we have protocols in place. Uh, we receive regular training on the proper uh, handling of classified information. Uh, as I mentioned, we sign non-disclosure agreements. So those rules are very clear, and anyone who has a security clearance knows that. Anyone who violates those rules is doing so willfully. And that's U.S. Defense Department Brigadier General Patrick Ryder speaking to reporters in Washington just moments ago about this breaking story related to the identification of a 21-year-old Massachusetts National Guardsman who's believed to have leaked highly sensitive and classified U.S. military intelligence to an online community. The leak, of course, has far-reaching security concerns, not only for the United States, but the international community as a whole. And we'll be watching that unfolding story very closely. Um, when we come back, we hope to hear from you. This is News Talk on VOCM. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And we're back. Uh, Linda Swain in, uh, back after a uh, a little bit of a break. <laughs> Not much of a break, i got to say. I was sick as a dog. But anyway, uh, we're going to go to the lines now. And uh, I'm not sure how to pick this one up because that system is out. So I guess I'll just pick up the line. Um, hello, Stu. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. I'm happy, you, happy to hear that uh, you got over that uh, uh, nasty, uh, whatever you want to call it. I guess I, I'm not sure if it's still Omicron or not, is it? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's COVID for sure, yes. COVID, yeah. According to Bill Gates, he said, uh, sadly, he said the Omicron's outperforming the vaccines. You may have heard that a little bit. That was that was floating around. Yeah, there. the new the new variants have the ability to uh, circumvent the um, your immunity. So uh, yay yeah, for that. Yay. Yeah. Circumvent the vaccines and everything. It always did, I think, pretty well. Uh, you know, the strange thing about it, though, is uh, it does work for some people and not for uh, not for others. You know, I guess like everything, I guess. But anyway, let's get over to Muskrat Falls fiasco. Uh, you know, I always thought that was a bad idea from day one, but I wasn't alone in that uh, that assumption, I guess, or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, so I, uh, I got a novel, maybe a novel idea. Why don't we send all the uh, over, overruns and overcosts and all that to, uh, to Mr. Williams? They didn't pay the bills. It, it was his pet project. You know, and, and the strange thing is, like, it seems like... Whenever, uh, you know, whenever uh, there's always all, there's, when it comes to the contractors, you know, uh, for government jobs, the sky's the limit for funding. But when it comes to uh, the things that people need, the coffers are empty, you know. So that, so it, it, it is just a fiasco. It's Mr. Williams' pet project, and I think he should, 
ship in more muddy shipping, and I think uh, you know. But uh, and I don't believe <laughs> I don't believe you don't buy into the uh, to to the statement that uh, everything is fine now and has been commissioned that it's all working fine. I'm thinking that was the old up. Uh, to declare that, uh, commission or whatever, or, uh, you know, so I don't know. I just don't uh, buy that little bit of thing there either. But, uh, no, I, I think it was a complete waste of money. And before this is over and said and paid for, we're probably looking at more like $45 billion for the life of the project, right? So As much as that, you really think so? Yeah, I, I go by those words from a good friend of mine, Dr. Phil Earl, and uh, that's what he put out one time, I think, on, uh, on one of the shows there. He said, uh, "You know, it's time is paid for. We're looking at forty to forty-five billion uh, for the life of the project and everything else." And uh, like I said, well, we'll get the numbers in the in the coming weeks. We're told. Yeah, but uh, I wonder just how accurate they are, or or, or are they just forecast, or, or what they are? You know, like it seems like uh, it seems like they're pretty mum on everything. You know, and uh, it's no wonder that people are always skeptic. You know, as, as to what uh, what they're hearing. Uh, you know, so again, I think Mr. Williams should be uh, forced to pay a good chunk on this. All no. right, I don't know how an individual can be responsible for that, but anyway, I. Uh, well, like I said, he he initiated it. He was one of the architects of it. You know, kept touting it as the best thing probably since sliced bread or, or something similar to that. But it certainly is not. It, it, it it's a big anchor around our necks and and uh, and for another generation or two. All right, Stu, I appreciate your call. Anyway, happy to hear you're feeling better, and you stay safe and take care. Thank you very much. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Um, and uh, earlier today, the RNC and the RCMP on the Avalon Peninsula announced that they have already begun using a new province-wide radio system. It's hoped that the system will be expanded to paramedics and ambulance operators on the Avalon in the coming months. The update was provided this morning in St. John's. VOCM's Richard Duggan, of course, was there. And here's uh, Justice Minister John Hogan and RNC Chief Pat Roach about this new radio system that they're hoping to have in place right across the province uh, in the coming uh, year or so. We know that Newfoundland and Labrador has always been known for a friendly people, rugged coastlines, boundless wilderness, and of course it is a very safe place to live. But as Minister Lovelace mentioned, we're not immune to disasters, emergencies, and tragedies in our province. With our vast geography here, it is critical we have reliable and modern emergency communication infrastructure to ensure the safety of all of our residents. It is with great pride that I announce today that members of the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police on the Avalon Peninsula have begun radio communications on our new province-wide radio system. Over the coming months, ambulance services and some other public safety entities on the Avalon Peninsula will join on the system marking a major milestone in interoperable communications throughout our province. Our government values the services provided by the dedicated first responders who so often put their own lives on the line to ensure the safety of our families and our communities. This new public safety radio system provides first responders with increased abilities to communicate and coordinate with other first responders during these emergencies. It not only provides a better service for all residents of our province, but provides our first responders with additional measures of safety and security. The new radio system is replacing many aging systems used by agencies in our province that are now unable to easily communicate with each other. 
The new system will, of course, be more reliable and secure to respond to the changing needs of emergency communication requirements. By moving to our new network, police, fire, ambulance, and other public service first responders will be able to communicate more efficiently and effectively during emergencies, which will, of course, ultimately save lives in this province. By going live with our new system, we will join an Atlantic Public Safety Radio Network, which means we now have the ability to provide and receive interprovincial support during emergencies and natural disasters from our colleagues in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, and many federal agencies that also operate on this network. That means that during emergencies like Hurricane Fiona, first responders who come to our province from agencies within Atlantic Canada will arrive equipped with these radios that will be functional on our, on our system and allow all responders to contact each other. As announced last year, our government is investing more than $181.8 million to support this province-wide radio system. This is a significant investment in emergency management to the benefit of all residents of our province. It will ensure first responders have a radio system that allows them to approach, manage, and contain an emergency when it arises. <coughs> Newfoundland and Labrador was the only province without a province-wide public radio system, and it's clear that this need has worked in other jurisdictions. Tragedy struck in New Brunswick in 2014 with the shooting deaths of three RCMP officers in Moncton. This incident identified a need for the encrypted police communication in the province and led to a call for standard equipment for emergency response teams. In 2016, the Alberta First Responders radio communication system became operational and the system was proven to be very successful during the devastating Fort McMurray fires. We have heard from the RNC and the RCMP, as well as firefighters, paramedics, other first responders who communicate with each other during emergencies, that this system is vital in ensuring the safety of the members of the public and the first responders themselves. Today's update marks almost a year of hard work by many individuals and agencies supporting this project. Particularly, I would like to thank Bell Mobility and Motorola for the years of work on development and establishing the network. The work with Bell to install and run the network across Newfoundland will continue. We will continue to develop and improve the infrastructure across our entire province. Starting in late spring of next year, we will be able to begin having other public safety entities from across the province and outside the Avalon join our network. Additionally, in the room just next door to here, there is a multi-agency communication center. The center, which is the first of its kind in our country, will operate as a shared backup dispatch for RNC, RCMP, and ambulance services. It will also be used as a training facility for new radio users and can be used as an operation center during special emergency events. As I conclude, I want to thank the members of our Provincial Radio Communications Office and everyone involved in the project for the critical work you were doing to ensure the safety and security of us all. To our first responders, your compassion and selflessness to help others does not go unnoticed. Your leaders in the community and a source of inspiration to our young people who look to you for guidance and support. I also want to recognize your family and friends who support and stand by all our emergency responders. Thank you so much. Thank you on behalf of the entire government of Newfoundland and Labrador for the sacrifice you make by allowing your loved ones to risk their lives to help others. I'll now turn things over to RNC Chief Pat Roach to say a few words. I'm certainly pleased and very feel very privileged to be here today 
with this announcement. I know it's been several years in the making of multiple discussions and plans to get to where we are here today. So thank you for everybody who has been involved in that. Our government, Bell Canada, Motorola, thank you for that piece, part of it. Telecommunications, radio communications is certainly, I believe, to be the lifeline of police officers. So for us to be moving into this system, this up-to-date system, it, it certainly strengthens our ability to serve the people of Newfoundland and Labrador. We're very fortunate to have this system. It's an asset for all police officers and first responders to be a part of it. And I look forward to seeing it roll out across the province into our other jurisdictions, both in Cornerbrook and Labrador in the coming years. It is, uh, will make it life much safer for the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, for our officers who are responding to calls, for our ability to talk to our partners, whether it be the fire department, whether it be our colleagues within the RCMP. So this is a monumental, monumental step forward for us in the police world and how we communicate with each other and our ability to be more effective, efficient, and safer for our members and for the public so we can respond in a timely manner. So that's Justice Minister John Hogan and RNC Chief uh, Pat Roach providing an update today on the province-wide radio communications system for first responders that should be up and running right across the province. It's currently being used on the Avalon Peninsula, but it'll be uh, right across the province by about mid-next year. Coming up... And this is what happens when you're getting over COVID. Coming up, the St. John's Pedestrian Mall set to go for another uh, year. And Duckworth Street businesses are looking for a different approach to make sure people visit their area as well. This is News Talk on VOCM. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. Thanks, Noah. Thanks, Claudette. Uh, gave me an opportunity to get uh, wet my whistle and get my voice back. Uh, thank you very much for that. Well, uh, Duckworth Street business owner is asking the city of St. John's to revisit a previous offer made to help address business loss in the area caused by the pedestrian mall, if you recall. And uh, Claudette, you've been down to the pedestrian mall a few times, no doubt. It's absolutely wonderful, isn't it, it? What an experience. It feels like you are on a vacation without having to take a plane trip. Exactly. It feels like you're on vacation in your own town yeah yeah it's it's great uh but for people up on duckworth street and we've seen it 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 becomes a bit of a ghost town up that way yeah and i'm really feeling for them i mean i just keep seeing all of the comments how it's hurting their businesses so you know what can be done so solutions need to be found well in 2021 council offered to hire a marketing firm to help duckworth street businesses attract foot traffic while the pedestrian mall is open on water street at the time the idea was rejected by many businesses who were hoping to provide greater input into the pedestrian mall concept but uh, the owner of the sprout restaurant elizabeth missick says with the subsequent closure of more than a dozen local businesses can you just imagine now is the time to have another look at that option and i spoke with elizabeth uh, during my recent confinement Elizabeth Missick, what kind of an impact has the, the pedestrian mall had on duckworth street businesses It's made things harder than they already were with COVID and inflation. Those were hard enough for everyone, obviously. But to have this extra challenge drawing business away from our street in the most important money-making months of the summer for three years going on four has been really hard, such that over a dozen businesses on Duckworth Street have closed since 
the pedestrian mall began. I don't imagine that that has helped. So the city has tried a number of solutions here because the pedestrian mall has proven to be very successful for businesses on Water Street. Uh, have any of those solutions worked for Duckworth Street businesses? No. As far as I know, they only really tried one solution. That was in 2021 when a bunch of Duckworth businesses, maybe 20 or 30 of us, we all got together and sort of had to force the city to acknowledge that we exist and we were affected by this in its first year. It was really, really hard for us, harder than the pandemic. And so we managed to get them to pay a bit of attention and they decided to close off two small sections of Duckworth Street to try to extend the pedestrian mall idea. But the two tiny sections they closed off weren't a mall. They were kind of like roadblocks. It was super unsuccessful. So this is the only time that they tried to help us. As far as I know, they haven't done anything else. Last year in 2022, the summer, they did absolutely nothing for Duckworth Street, just the usual funding for the enormous beautiful water street mall and then we were all left just hoping things would work out but they didn't really as has been the case since the mall began so it's time for them to try something new to help us out now some time ago um the the city um, had a survey uh asking if businesses would accept the hiring of a, a marketing firm to help alleviate some of the uh, some of that harm done to businesses and at the time it was rejected but what are you asking for now I'm asking for them to try that option again. So we rejected that option at the time because that was in 2021 when we were all working incredibly hard to try to be more meaningfully included. So our goal was to not accept these consolation prizes like marketing. We were trying to get actually included in this enormous successful event. So people rejected it because the grand prize was much higher. But now um, the options are a marketing firm is the grand prize or absolutely nothing. So I think the results, if they did this survey again two years later, would be completely different because the question is different. So what would you expect of that kind of a process then? If a marketing firm was involved, what would you like to see there? I guess all that would really need to happen is the city told us last year that there is funding available to help and support Duckworth Street, but they sort of passed the buck and said, oh, downtown St. John's, they need to drop a budget outlining how this money would be spent. But downtown St. John's maybe has two staff members, so they're not going to undertake this task. And the city didn't wait for downtown St. John's to develop plans for their Water Street pedestrian mall. They almost certainly drafted their own budget, hired their own professionals because they want that project to happen. So it's time for them to do something similar for Duckworth and not delay this, make it someone else's problem. All they would need to do is either ask some businesses again if this is a good option for us or just go ahead and do it. Go ahead and try to help us hire this marketing firm, get them to maybe talk to some businesses on Duckworth Street, see what kind of ideas people have. But ultimately, if they were to hire a marketing firm, the point of that is that those people would have their own ideas. They're professionals. I don't know much about marketing and stuff myself. I had had one simple idea of installing map signs down in the pedestrian mall to show people that there is more to downtown. There are a lot of small mom and pop international niche, super unique businesses on Duckworth Street that they're going to miss out on if they only stay down in the mall because there is zero signage telling them that there is more they could see.
so the sun is higher in the sky. It's getting warmer. Uh, you can feel spring in the air finally. Um, is there anything that can be done now to salvage this upcoming uh, summer tourism season? I really don't think it would be very hard for the city to have a meeting, decide they're going to give us some money, hire us a marketing firm, and then pass that off to the professionals to see what kind of signs can be put up, like I just sort of described, what sort of small things could be done. There's no reason that those things couldn't be accomplished in a couple of months, which is how long we have before the mall begins again. So there's really no reason that if they wanted this to happen the way that they wanted the pedestrian mall to happen, it could absolutely happen. And what's uh, the city's response been to all of this thus far? I haven't been able to get any answer out of them this year. Last year they were sort of like uh, at least councillors Ravencroft and O'Leary, they acknowledged the great inequity caused unintentionally by the Water Street Mall, and they expressed their desires to address this issue. But like I said, city council sort of passed the buck to downtown St. John's, which is enormously understaffed and underfunded. They need to deal with the problem themselves. So I hope that they will find the motivation to take their acknowledgement of these issues and really do something about it this year, because it's going on four years and we've had so many businesses close. I don't know how many more businesses they're going to have to see close or just relocate away from Duckworth Street as far as they can get before they're going to do something about how they have changed the structure of the downtown core and how they're going to diminish downtown and just make it less vibrant and smaller by focusing only on funding the success of this one small portion of downtown. And how are you doing? I mean, you've been raising these concerns for some time now. Obviously, it's had an impact on your business as well. How are you doing overall? We are doing okay. Like, for us, we are sort of a niche business. We sell vegetarian food, so there's only, I think, two restaurants in the entire city that do this. So we still have a dedicated group of regulars, and we have, like, tourists maybe who are down on Water Street looking for vegan options might walk up to our street. They might Google us. So for us, it might be a little bit less challenging than for some other businesses. But we definitely still can see that in July and August, especially August, we're not seeing the kind of numbers and profits that we would normally see, like the money coming in that we need to carry us through the slow winter season. So it's definitely changed things, even though the tourists are back, we can feel the difference that this decision of the city has made for us. Elizabeth Missick, do keep us up to date on this issue. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's Elizabeth That's Missick. great. Thanks, Elizabeth. Okay, sorry about that. That's Elizabeth Missick. She uh, is the owner of The Sprout, and uh, she's been talking about ways to get foot traffic up to Duckworth Street to uh, uh, benefit so that everybody in the downtown of St. John's can benefit from the pedestrian mall. It's a great idea. If you've ever been to St. John's during the summer months in recent years, you'll know what a success the pedestrian mall has been, at least on Water Street anyway. Well, Duckworth Street uh, businesses want uh, that business up there way as well instead of just blocking off the road and making it seem like a I, I don't know a, a, a desert <laughs> a ghost town a ghost town yeah because some of the barriers they put up there I don't know if it was last year or the year before that man it, it was like okay no blockade you can't go here <laughs> and so people didn't 
Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, solution, uh, no doubt, needs to be found there. Um, if you have any thoughts on that, you're welcome to give us a call. Uh, when we come back, interest in icebergs means that some tourism operators are already taking guests out on the water. Can you imagine, Claudette, in April month? This is News Talk on VOCN. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. Well, it's only April yet, but at least one tourism operator is already taking guests out on water to see the first bergs of the season as they slowly drift southwards. While many of the big icebergs are still well offshore, some have drifted inshore, allowing people a pretty good view. Bob Bartlett is with Trinity Eco Tours. Well, Captain Bob Bartlett, um, Trinity Eco Tours already taking some people out to, to see the icebergs. What's, this, what's it like out there? Well, yesterday and uh, actually the past few days have been really nice. Uh, yesterday was absolutely spectacular. Just the weather played played its part. There was no wind. It was sunny and cold, of course. But, uh, yeah, we just uh, came across an iceberg yesterday in Bonavista Bay that was well over 100 feet of huge, huge iceberg. And we saw about an additional six more, I think, that were smaller. So it was a good day. So you're already seeing visitors from around the world, is that correct? Yes, uh, I've seen, as a matter of fact, it's very funny because yesterday most everybody on board was Newfoundlanders or had a connection to Newfoundland. And I had a tour on Saturday of seven people and those were all women and they were from all over the world. I think I had three people from Ireland, one from England, one from California. I think there was a girl from Ontario and... uh, uh, it, it was just a, a real mishmash of uh, international travelers. And uh, like you said, they were all women, which kind of struck me odd because uh, they were doing away with the men, I guess. Or women are traveling independently. So what's bringing them to Newfoundland and Labrador this early in the season? Well, I think it's the iceberg. Uh, it's the iceberg and the slop ice uh, situation that we've got going on here right now. Uh, people are interested in icebergs, and I've seen the... The interest in icebergs, I'd say, has gone up uh, exponentially in the last 10 years, and I really attribute it to the uh, the anniversary of the, uh, the 100-year anniversary of the sinking of the Titanic. So it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic. Uh, I don't know if it's just raised awareness or if it's uh, just its time or maybe it could be the climate change aspect. Uh, scientists say now that uh, we can expect to see an increase in icebergs before we see a rapid decline with the loss of the uh, the cap on uh, Greenland, the west, uh, west coast of Greenland, just that pressure pushing the the, the plasticine, plasticine effect of the uh, ice out to the edge of the, the uh, glacier in Greenland. So uh, I don't know. It it's, could be a multiple of factors. Who knows? So fascinating and concerning all at the same time. Yes. And it's just an interesting thing that this uh, aspect of climate change and icebergs has only really come out in the last probably three or four years. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a changing perspective on the, uh, the quantity and the quality of the icebergs that we're getting. And how do, I mean, when you're conducting these tours, how does it differ in April months, say, from May or even June? Well, it's much colder. 
It's much more of a, uh, in our case, I mean, we probably have to travel to find icebergs. So I'm not launching out of the area that, that I would normally be launching from. We get icebergs in this area as well. But uh, in this part of the season where things are just really starting to pick up, I might have to travel 25 or 30 kilometers, launch the boat in a different area or whatever. So it's a, it's a, changing, it's a changing dynamic. And, of course, it's a bit more of an adventure because instead of a two- to three-hour tour, it's probably going to take anywhere between four to five hours to get the, uh, get the tour off, you know, between coming and going. Now, we know in June uh, we get this wonderful confluence of icebergs and whales, uh, one going north, the other going south. Um, Are you seeing anything out on the water nowadays, or is it kind of quiet out there? It's kind of quiet right now, but, uh, I mean, in the past, we used to get a, we're probably one of the first, if not the first people on the water. And every year, uh, even the, the earliest parts of the season, I have come across whales. So, I mean, I think one year was March the 27th, another year was like the 8th of April. So you do get humpbacks that are traveling back and forth. Because <clears throat> I always thought humpbacks migrate in a pattern, uh, south for the winter, north for the for the uh, feeding frenzy in, in the summertime here. But, I mean, whales are all over the, the map. They don't follow that that uh, pattern so closely i mean you get whales in uh, um, whales are just going back to norway now after uh, oh, i think the last 15 years i don't know if it's because they had a commercial fishery still and uh, you know the herring stocks are recuperating or have recovered uh, it could be a lot of factors involved there too but um, yeah so i mean the likelihood, the best likelihood of seeing your whales is the latter part of June, July, and August. That's when we get the the peak of the whales here. But I mean, you can still see them anytime. Any year-round species? I know that uh, white-beaked dolphins, of course, have been grabbing headlines of late. Yes. Uh, but any year-round species that you regularly see? Uh, the dolphins, the the white-beaked, the Atlantic white-sided dolphins, are more likely to be seen this time of year. We saw a huge amount of eider ducks on the water yesterday, probably a couple of thousand. That's that's what we're estimating. Four or five groups of at least 500 plus. So uh, that that was a great dynamic. Saw seals on the water yesterday. I mean, seals, of course, year-round. There's no shortage of those. And um, um, yeah, you never know what you're going to see as far as wildlife goes. It's a little bit early for the puffins and the gannets, but I mean they should be, within the next month they should be starting to come back to their rookeries and their their roosts and and uh, their uh, the islands that they go to. So what's the uh, summer shaping up like? Uh, getting a lot of uh, bookings. The bookings are looking very good, I must say. Uh, last year was a was a great year, come home year, and. Uh, a couple of other factors that were involved in that too. Uh, you know, people haven't traveled for for a long time, you know, almost three seasons, I guess. And it was uh, people wanted to get out. I don't think people necessarily wanted to do international travel right away. I think they wanted to, you know, stay closer domestic. So that was a plus in our favor. Um, even though we did see an increase, I think in in foreign uh, traffic last year. I think we're going to see more of it this year, and. I would say that this year is going to be as good or better than last year for everything I can see. Newfoundland is coming onto the world stage on its own, I think, in its uh, in its tourism quality and its tourism appeal. I mean, we really are. We we really have a lot going on here, 
and we should be proud and we should support what we have going on in this province. And I certainly do. I mean, I've traveled all over the world. I've traveled to Norway, Costa Rica, Mexico, Greece, Turkey, and it's just all within the last three years. And I swear every time I get off the plane in St. John's, I could kiss the ground. I mean, this is one of the best places in the world to live, to come visit, and to be a part of and have fun in. Amen to that. Anything exciting coming up now on the Bonavista Peninsula? Uh, we are, well, actually, yeah, we are promoting and, and starting a, a bus tour package to uh, to do the uh, the geopark here, the UNESCO geopark on the Bonavista Peninsula. So uh, we're working hard to uh, promote the geopark and to develop packages with and alongside of that. So I think that's a very interesting dynamic, and it's going to be a, um, a boon for the future on the peninsula here for sure. Skipper Bob Bartlett, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You're quite welcome. Anytime. And Skipper Bob Bartlett's already taking people out on the water in April month. Can you just imagine uh, to see the icebergs with Trinity Eco Tours? Well, the provincial government has announced over $2 million for age-friendly community projects in the province. Executive Director Kelly Highs spoke to the announcement in Mount Pearl earlier today. Thank you, Lucy. Uh, thank you, uh, Minister Howland and Abbott. Uh, really, there's not much else I can say. I think you guys checked all the boxes on. The importance and value of what our communities mean to us and what communities can give to the people who live there and contribute to your communities. Um, as an organization that connects individuals that need support, seniors and those that support them to programs and services, this will make our jobs a lot easier when we can start connecting to more and more accessible and available programs and services in all of the communities. And I think you hit on some major, a big major point here is it's about we and all of us working together to create age-friendly communities. What does it mean to live in our communities? How do we reach out and make things as accessible and enjoyable and something that you want to participate in and access and have people actually move into your communities, contribute to the economy, and contribute to even more and further programs and services. So <clears throat> I encourage all of the First and foremost, congratulate you for finding an awesome amount of money, offering the opportunity for municipalities to uh, fund, get funding in order to improve the supports and, and pro access to the uh, facilities and, and programs and services in their communities. <clears throat> But also, uh, I encourage and congratulate those municipalities who have been successful to receive that. I also encourage them, and I encourage older adults to participate in any engagement opportunities to shape what it is that you need, what you think future, future us needs uh, when you think about um, what your community may need. What does your trail look like? What, does, what should it be shaped like? What kind of buildings do we need to build? What kinds of programs that will actually bring people out? How do we reach out to people who may not have uh, be able to access? What kind of programs can we offer that will kind of either subsidize or support uh, those that may be on low income, those that are lonely, those that have no family, 
you know, it's really looking at the bigger picture. And I think that's what Age Friendly is all about, looking at the big picture and supporting each other. So I say congratulations, great work, and uh, I look forward to uh, hearing all about what's going on across Newfoundland and Labrador. Thank you so much. And that was Kelly Heise, who uh, was speaking to an announcement in Mount Pearl earlier today about uh, $2 million for age-friendly community projects right across the province. And we'll have more on that in the coming days. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Glad to be back. I'll be back again tomorrow, unless something else happens to me now. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, do tune in then. Thanks for listening, everyone.